Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, May 21st, 2020, this is Mike Abbott here, and you're listening to the Mike Abbott here show, which you know because you dialed into it or logged into it or clicked into it. Anyways, we've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking some NFL, horse racing, maybe even sneaking a little coronavirus talk, maybe a little bit of baseball, a lot of news today coming out of, uh, you know, the, the owner's camp that the baseball players and the players union don't want to accept the uh, current offer as is. Sounds like there's some financial considerations that have to be worked out. Hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed that they could do so. But we also heard some football news today in terms of some rule, rule proposals. And I think that would be a good starting point. And it's a perfect time to bring on our first guest who is not just a football expert, but he is a good friend of mine. I've known him for many, many, many years former Raiders scout, Dolphins, Giants, Carolina, general manager in the Arena League, won several Arena Bowls, got some rings on his finger, also uh, in the CFL. Um, I'm sure I'm missing something because the guy's done it all. We're talking about David Turner. David, good afternoon. How are you, buddy? Good to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Now, what did, what did I miss there from your list of achievements, accolades, and experience? Oh goodness, you you missed the UFL where oh that's I right the that's right director of player personnel from the UFL and uh, everything else though you you nailed okay all right so let's get right to it man did you have a chance to see the uh, latest proposals I think the one that made the biggest news today was the onside kick proposal, which basically is the removal of the onside kick. And instead of when, when you want to retain possession, you would instead go for a fourth and 15 from your own 25. It's kind of, you know, uh, you either make it happen or you don't turn over on downs, you give, give up the ball on the 25 yard line, your own 25, or you pick up 15 and you convert. What are your thoughts? Yeah, not a fan of this for me. I think that, you know, there are some rules in the in the CFL that I think they have right, which I would love the NFL to adopt and adopt. One of them is, you know, just take the ball to 25. Straight up. Just, you're going to not take, you know, not going to kick off. The, the the receiving team has the option to either take the ball at the 25 or receive a kickoff. It's up to them. What do they want to do? Um, I think that's, you know, that's something the CFL has as right, you know, the receiving team can make the choice. Um, the other thing I love about the CFL, like the NFL, I think, should adapt is a halo rule to make returners uh, safer. So, you know, players can't come within a, a three-yard radius of the receiving, the, the returner, so he can receive the ball safely and then make a move. And you see more dynamic returns in the CFL due to that. And it keeps these uh, young men that are in incredible returners employed because that's the one skill set they have to make money and to move forward. And it also makes the game more exciting because, you know, you don't have guys just running down, lighting up people. You have 
doesn't have to maintain breakdown and make a tackle in the open field. So it's uh, a couple rules I think the NFL should adapt that will make the game even better, move it along faster and keep the time frame uh, inside that three-hour three, three hour window they like to perform games in. So it sounds like for the most part you're – the philosophy that you're carrying is make it safer for the players. Whatever is safe but also provides excitement is the way to go. So why is it then that you don't like removing the onside kick and just give you just having a fourth and 15 instead of the onside kick? So you score a touchdown, you know, just for our listeners. What we're talking about is you score touchdown or it could even be a field goal. Typically... If you're down, you want to get the ball back quickly. The quickest way to do it is, especially if you lack timeouts, is to perform an onside kick. What we found with the latest rule changes, which promoted safety, was the onside kicks were virtually impossible to convert. So they went back to the rules committee this offseason, and the proposal that was just submitted today was, rather than an onside kick, after you score, you go for it, you got 15 yards to convert, it's one play. You do it, you retain the ball. So it sounds pretty safe to me, Dave, but you don't like it. Well, I don't like it because it slows the game down. So let's say you go and you score a touchdown. Now you got to move the ball back to the other side of the field, set the ball, get an offensive play in, run an offensive play. Now that offensive play fails, where are you going to place the ball? you got to kick it off. So... Where does the ball go? Now you got to move the ball again and reset the play, get the other offense out on the field. Well, I think what the they're saying is, the well, I think what they're saying is if you don't convert on the 415, the fourth and 15, it's just a turnover on downs. So now the opposing team would get on the 25-yard line. Presumably they could just kick a field goal on the spot if they wanted to. My guess is they'd probably want to waste some time, run out the clock if they could. Uh, but that that addresses at least that point of it. But I see where you're coming from. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things that's a little bit tricky because what we found, one of the best things about the NFL is that they are quick to make change. Complete antithesis of baseball, right? Baseball, they don't make changes. They're just old school. They stick to the orthodoxy of baseball, and it's like pulling teeth. They're the last, te- last sport to bring an in instant replay, you know, they're, they're very much dead set on keeping everything traditional and as is. Football is quite the opposite of that. On the flip side, it seems like football has almost gotten too extreme. Like, statistically speaking, you know, extra points, we're making too many of them. All right, let's change it. All right, onside kicks, we're no longer making a lot of them. Let's change it. It's almost too overreactionary, don't you think? Well, yeah, and again, take from another league I was in, the Arena Football League, where onside kicks and possessions were key to winning every game. Like, we were down 21 points before in games, and we'd go to our onside kick game, score quick, uh, onside kick, and get it back. I think in the NFL, even keeping players safe, you can still have some of the similar old rules. Instead of having them be able to run 10 yards to get a running start, they can run five yards to the, to, you know, get a running start, kick the ball. And there's different onside kick techniques from squib kicks to hop overs to hot shots um, that you see in arena football happen all the time and middle dribbles and things that you don't see the NFL. They always just have one style of onside kick. 
if you allow them to have a five-yard head start, not a big deal. It's not going to generate enough power to where you know, players are going to get hurt. The car crashes. The car crash isn't going to be supercharged, right? And also, you develop your special teams coaches should develop more um, onside kick threats, and these kickers can do them. And if you learn how to do them effectively, like we did in the arena league, you recovered a good portion of them, and and then it made the game more exciting. You know, one play from a 25-yard line, then you turn it back over at the same 25-yard line, but then that team to kick a field goal, extend their lead, and now, you know, you, you've basically given up. It's like, it's not exciting. As a fan, I wouldn't be excited to see that. Now, if you give me an onside kickback, a real one, that's exciting. When that ball goes up in the air and it pops up, and you're like, ooh, can we go get it? I mean, that's exciting for a fan to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing more exciting than when you're down, you know, and, and at home and you, you recover that onside kick. Or if you're a fan watching from home and your team converts an onside kick, they were down by, you know, 13 points and looked hopeless just 55 seconds ago. Now they've got new life. Now we've got a ball game again. That's, uh, that, that's what it's all about. And so I agree with you about the excitement of the onside kick. My biggest knock on it, aside from the rule changes, which made it practically you know, impossible or very darn near difficult to convert them, is the element of luck. One of the things I love about football is it's, it's, is it's teamwork. And on an onside kick, it does require some teamwork. But really, more than anything, it's kind of a lucky play, right? It's all about how that oddly shaped ball that we use in football bounces. And that's the one thing that I kind of didn't like about it was it just one lucky bounce here and there kind of can determine you know, 59 minutes and 59 seconds of really, really hard work by both teams. That's kind of the one thing that I didn't like about it. I'm going to throw, throw out a, an alternative plan. I, I'm sure you're going to dislike it, Dave, and I'm sure most people would probably hate it, uh, and, then, and then we'll move on. But what I think would be cool, because, and I like that you mentioned the punt returner, the punt returner's safety and preserving his job earlier, obviously as an agent, and I work with those type of guys who are specialists, perhaps. You don't want to see a guy who makes his living doing one specific thing get removed from the shuffle. So in that same spirit, in that same vein, I'm going to say, let's preserve the job of the kicker, because if you do away with onside kick, you're doing away with a, a percentage of his role on the field, which he doesn't see the field very much anyways. What about... You make it just a free play, no line, uh, no like uh, special teams units. It's just the kicker and the field goal post. You make three straight 50 yarders. You make three straight, your, your team retains the ball. That's the new onside kick. It's in the spirit of the kicker. And the name of the game, football. We don't use our feet very much outside of running, right? Right. So that's my proposal. If people didn't like it and they'd prefer to have, you know, the the offensive and defensive linemen and the special teams guys duking it out to make those three kicks, I'm fine with that too. I was just trying to think of something that would be quick, you know, just rapid fire, three straight kicks. If you can make three straight 50, especially on the road you know in a hostile environment. You can kick three fifties, three, three quick. They're going to have to line up. Go back, march it back off, kick another one, march it back off. I mean, this isn't soccer where you want to watch a shootout. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, <laughs> and that's why I said I don't think quit. many people would like it. But at least that's 
that's there's an element of skill removes the luck. And hell, hell, if you're able to make three fifties, you deserve to retain the ball. You know what I mean? Um, but like you're talking about, there's always ramifications, right? So what happens when he doesn't convert? Where does the opposing team get the ball? You know that type of stuff um, is all. It's always the devil in the details with any of these proposals, any of these rule changes. And I agree with you. I think that there are elements of the other football leagues, even the the most recent example being the XFL, which the NFL can adopt. Uh, let's keep it moving, though, Dave, because there's there's kind of a lot to cover in uh, yeah. what relatively is a, is a dull period for sports. It seems like there's always things to kind of discuss. Today it came out that there are the potential or there is the potential of upwards of $4 billion in losses for college sports. And that doesn't factor in football. If there isn't a football season, what is that going to do in your mind to the NFL? And if you're an NFL general manager, how do you even approach the 2021 draft? As chaotic of a hypothetical that this is, it's actually a legitimate possibility. Now, I think what's going to end up happening is I think that maybe some teams are going to, in states where you can play and play in front of fans and stuff, may kind of create like sub a sub-schedule from the bigger schedule perhaps, you know, where maybe they play a shortened schedule or something. So I think we're going to see some form of college football, but we, we it's, it's pretty darn sure that we're not going to see the full complement of 148 teams or whatever it is. So, how how do, how do we approach scouting this year, even as an agent? You know, we, we may not see these guys on the field. Well, and what about the decision by some of these kids maybe to not play because of concerns, whether it be COVID concerns or just concerns for their own safety playing in a shortened season and without an off-season program for their bodies? to train and to be ready to play. Um, I think that's a concern, too. As far as scouting goes, it's going to be a patchwork quilt, whatever comes up, and you're going to have to learn how to navigate the lines and be on the fly. I think you'll see NFL teams with stronger scouting staffs, guys that uh, are in sync with what the general manager's thinking and are in line with what they want will be able to navigate these lines because they have better relationships at the schools that do play. I really feel for the small school kids because, as we all know, small schools really depend on sponsorship dollars and and also playing the big schools in the prep games in August and early September to make their budgets meet their budgets, I should say, in without those those preparation games. I just don't see how small programs survive. Um, I think you're going to see a reduction of a lot of small school programs. They're going to fold up, and you might not see them come back, which is a shame because a lot of great footballs play that's you know not always in the power of five schools, but in other schools. So as far as scouting goes, it is a total wait and see to see who's playing, when they're playing, who they're playing, and where they're playing because. You know, there was an article, I think, yesterday talking about ASU on my local team playing in the Raider Stadium in Vegas, you know? 
And it's like now, now, why would they the need base. to do that? Is that because they're anticipating that Vegas will be ahead of the curve with the virus than, than the Phoenix area? Or why would they need to go there instead of stay at home? You know, the article just said it was a possibility. And I, and they, I know they're talking about it being a possibility of them. I don't know. I didn't read the whole article. I just read the portion of it saying it was a possibility that ASU could play at, you know, the stadium up there. I know that they're really talking about the UNLV game playing being played there, uh, but they were talking about other games, and I was kind of confused myself. Yeah, I well, I mean. That you, you're, you're seeing people come up with, with alternative methods in case something happens, right? Sure. Because I think the main issue, and for all the college football fans that are listening, and I know that there's an abundance of you guys out there, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to be realistic about this because as from what I've been conveyed is if a university decides that they can't have people on campus, so let's just say UCLA, local to me over here, if they say, you know what, we, we are not going to permit students on campus this fall, you can't just be like, as a football coach, but I want my football guys here this fall. So it has to apply evenly to everybody is what I'm told. So there might be a possibility that ASU is strongly considering doing like online classes or something like that. And if that's the case, you know, maybe Herman company and the athletic director are thinking outside the box. I still think that, that they're going to come up with problems. Either everybody gets to be on campus or nobody. There isn't kind of this in-between, and then we use the football players that way. It's a confusing time period, man, and I don't pretend to have the answers. And, um, you know, I think, you know, like you mentioned, safety first, health first, of course. But it would be crazy, Dave, to know that if Joe Burrow played – potentially this season as a senior and we'd never seen him last year kind of like what happened after he transferred from Ohio State to LSU that we could potentially miss out on on the first overall pick I mean that could potentially and, happen and that's a, you know that's a legitimate possibility um you know any of these rising seniors that are grad transfers that I mean even Kyle was it well, think about Russell Wilson when he transferred from North Carolina State over, right? And he played that one year at, uh, where was it? Was it Wisconsin. Oklahoma? Yeah, or? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. So, yeah, we knew who he was, but when he had the break, when he had an incredible year at Wisconsin, he rose up the draft boards, right? Sure. Um, so it happens all the time to many different players. We pick quarterbacks and talk about, obviously, name recognition. But... Um, it happens to players all the time. Look at this year's draft alone, how many small schools got looked over. Um, there were only seven FCS-level players drafted in this year's combine, comparable to usually you have somewhere between about 20. And then out of uh, the NFL combine invitees this year, you had 350, and I think 200 were drafted, where usually it's somewhere closer to 165, 175 get drafted because some kids go to pro days, they have to sell their pro days and they get drafted. So there was, there's heavy weight on, you know, scouting and drafting what you know and what you can guarantee versus what you can't. And so for this climate coming up, 
with you're not sure what's going to happen. If you get the SEC, say, we're open for business, and they go play, but then you have the Pac-12 say, we can't play because California has forbid us from playing, basically, then you're going to miss a player that might be a rising star out on the West Coast. And, Absolutely. you know, a player down south is going to rise his draft stock because he plays. Absolutely. That's a great point. Hey, Dave, do you have a few more minutes to stick with us after the first commercial break here? Sure. We're talking to Dave Turner, former NFL scout, general manager, done it all in all the leagues, XFL, CFL, arena football, (laughs) and and good friend of mine. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back after a quick commercial break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Continuing the conversation with David Turner and uh, Gino is back on with us. Hopefully, good news with his pup. Yeah, they they came over and checked out Rolly, did uh, some nails and stuff for him. So we we'll, we can talk a little bit about it later. Everybody's doing good at the moment. So thanks okay. for uh, thanks for holding things down and ready to rock and roll. Good to hear. So David, uh, continuing on that conversation about inability to be able to scout guys if we don't have a college football season, let's quickly transition to for the current players that were just drafted and the unsigned, uh, or excuse me, undrafted free agents. How far behind schedule are they right now? They didn't have a rookie minicamp. We're obviously not going to have any OTAs uh, anytime soon. Uh, how does this impact the Rooks? I heard a quote from Adam Thielen the other day. He was saying that had he not had this time period from April until training camp to be able to just gel with the team and 
and and and sink into the playbook and and have conversations with coaches and all the things that you need for preparation as a rookie. He said he wouldn't even have made it into the NFL. And and this is a, this is now a star wide receiver, of course. So, from your perspective, Dave, what what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think you what you'll see when cuts happen this year, more veterans get to keep their jobs than years past. Um, I know salary cap can't have all the you know have an entire roster of veterans, but you'll see a greater number of veterans make the team this year due to what you're saying. The the rookies are entering into a a year where they're behind the curve. Yes, the teams are holding virtual stuff, but there's only so much you can teach in a classroom. Coaches have to get you on the field and show you how to run routes, how to do things. Uh, You have to get the timing down with your quarterbacks. You have to, as a pass rusher, you know, figure out the speed of the game as a, you know, offensive lineman figure out the speed of the game. You don't, you can't do that from sitting on a couch looking at a computer screen. You really have to feel it. You have to be out on the field moving around and doing it. So they're really behind on that, and I feel that you'll see NFL rosters, whenever they open up and whenever they cut down, will reflect more veteran rosters this year than in years past. And so for, for big fantasy football fans out there, and we'll leave it on this note, with some inside advice, would you kind of shy away from rookies in general? Typically, you want to find that rookie running back or wide receiver that could maybe make a difference for your fantasy team. Maybe somebody from Furman that's that's unknown to most, but that you did some research. Is this the year not to do that? Yeah, I wouldn't take a lot of flyers this year because they just don't have the time to to make it happen mid mid season on when they've been around enough and they've seen it enough, you you'll have some big dividends. You know, if you're gonna if you're a futures guy, you can plan for the future and be okay. But like uh, teams like the Broncos, you know, they got a couple of good rookie receivers they're bringing in, and you know, you could take a flyer on those because they have to integrate those guys into the system. And those coaches are going to be forced to figure out how to be how to maximize these kids' potential. And what routes, what play calling, and they're going to have to shrink their play calling for a little while. They, the whole playbook is not going to be installed day one of the NFL season. You're going to see a lot more. You're, you're going to see a lot. I think scoring will be down a little bit, and defenses will be leading the way early in the NFL year, even more so than usual, because offenses will not have this time to click and gel. And like you heard Adam Phelan say, if he didn't have it, he wouldn't be on the NFL roster right now. So I think you're going to see NFL offenses struggle early and the defenses lead the way and scoring will be down early in the year. Great points. Gina, we got to take mental notes of that as we approach the upcoming, hopefully, NFL season. David, this half hour has flown by, my man. Really appreciate you stopping in. Why don't you let the listeners know how they could kind of follow you or uh, you know find out more about what you got going on? Sure, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm at Mav Sports uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Uh, got a YouTube channel, Mav Sports, Mav underscore Sports, and you can follow me on any of those mediums. I'm also working with ANC American National Combines. I'm their director of scouting to 
help promote and help these young men that missed their pro days this year didn't get an opportunity to shine. We're putting on five combines across the country where they can attend, get some verified numbers. I write reports on the top performers at each uh, combine, and we're attracting NFL interest. Uh, They'll be there in strength. NFL and CFL teams will be there in strength to evaluate the kids because they didn't get a chance to see them at their their own pro days this year. So we hope people take advantage of it. Um, Registration's open, but spaces are limited because we have to fall within certain guidelines for this coronavirus and this pandemic. So Sure. And you're also doing some stuff for the NFL Draft Bible, right? Or is that combine thing via the Draft Bible? No, I do. I'm working with uh, NFL Draft Bible, too. We are actually, this weekend, we're hosting a free agent combine seminar for anybody who's a street free agent. They can come on, learn from us how to take advantage of the opportunity to market themselves now. And uh, that registration is open through NFL Draft Bible, too. So, yeah, I mean, I'm moving and shaking. I'm trying to make it all work. So, Good stuff, David. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to do this again real soon. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Stay safe. You too. That's David Turner, former NFL scout, general manager, extraordinaire, CFL, AFL, done it all. Gino, let's transition now to horse racing. Yeah. Big weekend coming to, up. Yeah. You know, anybody that's been a horse racing fan and and you know, had a periodical in their hand daily racing form or utilized online or anything like that, knows who our next guest is because he's been in the game for a long time, doled out a lot of winners, been super successful, uber successful, I should say. Um, and he has some good takes on the Belmont as well as the Santa Anita and Churchill Downs cards for the weekend. I am, of course, talking about the National Racing Analyst for Equibase, Ella Starr. Hey, Ellis. Ellis, how you doing? Hey, first of all, this is so important to me. I gave up Family Jeopardy <laughs> for you guys. Just want to make sure everybody knows that this is so cool. I wanted to do this with you all. So, oh, we're honored for that. Thank you. Yeah, like one, someone that we've definitely uh, had many interactions back and forth, um, followed all your stuff through online, but I can't recall ever having an actual conversation with you. So it's fun to to have you on to tra- chat a little bit racing. Um, before we get into specifics for this weekend, let's talk a little big picture. So uh, first of all, you know, I'm I'm someone who is, you know, I'm, I'm a little cynical sometimes when it comes to racing. But I got to say, I, I think over the last couple months, since, you know, in unprecedented times with a virus that has kind of rocked the world, I feel like these racetracks have done a really good job staying safe. They've adapted. They've used any protocols necessary that they felt um, were going to keep the jockeys, the riders, the, the you know, the, the all the people around safe. And um, I, I want to applaud them because I think the tracks have done a good job. And because of Oaklawn and uh, Gulfstream and a couple of the tracks that stayed open, they kind of gave a template for these other tracks to get back open. And now, I mean, we have a great weekend coming up with Santa Anita and Churchill. Yeah, I, I have to be kind of surprised because as somebody as passionate uh, for the sport as I am, and you folks as well, since I know I've chatted with you both through Twitter, direct message and directly, and I think the industry can sometimes shoot itself in the foot. Absolutely. And I think in spite of some of the things that have gone on and are still going on um, in the industry, I read something today, which is a little odd. You probably read about the horsemen suing uh, 
to stop the no Lasix races in Kentucky, but yeah, that was that's weird. Yeah. as much as I'll say on the subject, it's just still the same thing. It's a it's a public shooting in the foot. Um, but you know, I think you're right, and it's been interesting the detailed protocols. I think that are models that Sanity came out with. Other industries can use. Uh, just fantastic, and I think it's been good. Of course, the exposure, you know, 20 hours a week on television. It's been fantastic, and, and you don't hear uh, really of any issues with people testing positive. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it happened at Aqueduct before they shut down, and they've just done a tremendous job. And I think it's a good blueprint going forward. And now, you know, we're getting back into things. We've got a bunch of stakes races this weekend, and then we'll be coming up on the new Triple Crown. The, so, what do you think about the new that? normal trip? The new normal. Yeah, triple I was just going to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask about about the the Belma. You know, wh- what are your thoughts? And, and first of all, can I just say something, guys? When I read or hear people saying, "Oh, you can't," when people are all dying out there, the how can you complain about shortening the distance of the Belmont Stakes? First of all, if we're going to compare everything to what's going on in real life, then you would really never have a discussion or debate about anything. <laughs> you can't complain about anything. <laughs> right, you can't complain about anything at all. So to me, I think it's kind of ridiculous when people say that. I appreciate that people, like you mentioned, are passionate. We are all passionate about the sport that we love. And we honor tradition. We like tradition. As far as I know from the research I've done, looks like there, there's been some tweaks with the distance prior. What's your take on the whole distance thing, especially relative to the timing calendar-wise, sequence-wise, within the Triple Crown races, etc. Well, something really interesting, so this is a kind of a sidestep. When I was doing I was doing a charity event, raising money for old friends on Derby weekend, and they had the virtual Derby. And I had seen two sets of PPs, one with a bunch of Triple Crown winners, and some had some of the Derby winners. And I threw them away, and I can't find the, the electronic file anymore of the one that had all Derby winners. But I do know, for example, uh, 1930, and I can't remember the name. I'm really bad with that. Uh, that was a year that it was not the Derby Preakness Belmont. And lots of times it was Derby Preakness, Wither, Derby Preakness Withers Belmont. And before that, you know, it was other orders. And so we're only looking at 80 years, maybe, of having this order, uh, 90 years. Um, but it's still not, we're still not wed to it. And I'm not one of those guys that I'm I'm, I'm 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 a person that doesn't like hearing that's the way we've always done it. So I have no problem with any of this. I have not a single problem about, I wish they were closer together perhaps, but as far as the order, I have no problem with it. And it does actually make for a longer three-year-old season. It's nice to certainly have the derby when you get to the point of horses in terms of maturity you know, May in their three-year-old year, where I always, when I work with a lot of groups, I say, you know, that's when they're between 18 and 21-year-old men, boys to men, you know, and one's going to be a man that day, um, and you and you know that. And that's one of the good things about it, because they're just getting mature physically and maybe mentally, maybe the light bulb's going on. So it's nice to think about that in terms of May, but you can also think about it in September. They're a little older. They'd be facing their elders a little bit before Breeders' Cup if they want, but definitely by Breeders' Cup time. And so I don't have a problem with any of it. It's going to be interesting. Um, to the traditionalists, I say, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I don't want to say get over it. I don't want to say I'm sorry, but, you know, it, it's meaningless to me. It does make also, I think, for more 
I think, uh, media coverage on racing in general because it will be, oh, the, I didn't know the Belmont was before the Derby this year. and Maybe a couple more people will watch and bet on the race. So as the industry goes, I think it benefits the industry also with a couple more big days through the summer besides what we're going to have at Saratoga and Del Mar. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the same same uh, side with you. It just I'm I'm pumped to to have the racing back. I'm glad that you know NCAA basketball wouldn't mind having a, a September Madness. You know they wouldn't mind if their schedule was changed around. I'm sure there was a lot of players that that were sad that they had to get canceled. So if the alternative is canceling, I'm I'm taking this for sure. I I don't want to see a small field of five going a mile and a half in June when these horses aren't quite ready to do that and they haven't had the progression yet. I think this just makes a lot more sense for the horses in general and for the betters too. Like I think we're gonna get big fields. It's gonna be almost like we had on Arkansas Derby Day with those two fields kind of in one. You know, if it's 16 horses or 15 horses and we get maybe both of those Bafferts with Charlatan and Nadal to to spread the money out a little bit, and then you could take chances against them if you like. So to me, Ellis, I think um, I'm with you. Like, I'm happy. Another big day of racing. And we got a couple big ones coming up this week. But I do think we have a break right now, Ellis, to take. Do you mind hanging out with us um, for a minute during the break? And then we can come back and talk uh, some handicapping? Not a problem at all. Thank you. Let's take a quick break here on... Uh, the Mike Abadir Show will be right back with a closing segment where we handicap Churchill and Santa Anita with Ellis. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's all about Jim and Trav's spring hit list this week on The Revolution as the boys prepare for some outdoor Memorial Day fun. Listen as we'll be joined by Haynes Shelton, associate editor of North American Whitetail, associate producer of North American Whitetail TV, and editor of Hog Hunting Magazine, plus Steve Nessel, Yamaha Motorsports Marketing Manager, Cat Daddy, and Mrs. Bunny. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Get those past performances out for May the 23rd. We're going to talk a little Saturday racing. We'll hit Churchill Downs for a couple of the races, and then we'll head over to Santa Anita, talk a race or two over there because we have some big stakes races and we saw it um at, at oakland park too and they were one of the uh, the only tracks left open and now we're seeing it at churchill ellis these races i mean the stakes races are, are deep you get these optional uh, claiming uh, allowance races that are basically stakes races that are huge fields and, and full and i mean this blame 
Um, the blame stakes, the $100,000 blame, which is going to go as race nine at Churchill on Saturday. This is a really, really good field lined up. And I think, you know, when you talk about races that are good betting races or races that we want to jump into, what you, you want to look at is maybe a favorite or a short price or two that are vulnerable. And that might be the case in this race with a horse like Owen Dale, who's super talented, but he might be a little bit better going longer. So um, where do you kind of start with this race? What are some of your overall thoughts on the blame? Well, first to your point, uh, this race, this, this day is being uh, mentioned as I think it's called like the Stephen Foster preview day. Yeah. So the blame, the blame is actually uh, a uh, a prep. That's not the Clark. Uh, forget the big. The, well, for the Foster, it might be these are Foster type horses. These are handicap division horses that normally go a mile and late, and they're going a mile. Some are coming back from layoffs since November, and a couple months. Certainly, a lot of you know they've been shut down in the Midwest since since March at fairgrounds and other places. So this is a prep. You're absolutely right. This is a race that would be a grade two, grade one. And it is interesting, you know, so you always try and start with, uh, or at some point in the handicapping process, whether a race is more or less playable based on the favorites. In this case, I looked at it first. I did some notes, and I looked at the morning line odds. I looked at Owendale at 3-1, to one, and he's being bet, I think, because people say, oh, he ran second, you know, in the Preakness last year, third, I mean, and he won the Ohio Derby, the Oklahoma Derby, and he was second in the Clark. That was November. I mean, that was six months ago. And it's a one-turn mile, so it's not as tough, but he's a deep closer, always prone to traffic trouble, and he's just not the end-all here. Uh, there's a couple of horses that I'm focusing on. This will be on one of my blogs for those that follow me on Twitter. Um that I think have tremendous value here, and this could be a race that you, we could either. I'm definitely going to swing for the fences and go out. So one of them is Extraordinary Jerry's number nine, and the other is Always Mining number four, and the other two horses I think have a shot are Silver Dust and Global Campaign, who are lower odds. <laughs> but Extraordinary Jerry, we'll talk about a, you know a horse. He's a five year old. Um, they tried him on turf to begin his career. Most of his races were on turf. He's run eleven times on turf, six on dirt. He's three for six hundred, and he was in O'Neill's barn, and then he went to Pletcher, and he still ran him on turf. And then finally, Pletcher took him off turf last summer at Saratoga, and won a first-level allowance by seven lengths. It was a huge effort. Cut him back to a one-turn mile for a little restricted stakes based on earnings called the Wildcat Air, but that was a hundred fifty thousand dollar race. Well, that's you know the same kind of level as he's running here, and he won by ten. And that was August and September. He's been off since then. Um, he was entered and scratched actually today. I double checked that, and he moved to trainers again. He changed trains to a barn with a guy named Dermot Magner, who's low profile guy, pretty good. But the key is Javier Castellanos riding him, and he's been working steadily in Florida. And his best races, those last two dirt races, stand up here very, very well. The other one was just ridiculous, and he's twelve to one. The other one is always mining. He's twenty to one, and this is a horse. If people remember, he was on the Maryland Preakness prep schedule last year. He won the Miracle Wood. He won the private terms. He won the Tessio by 4, 6, and 11. He was thought of as a need-to-lead type. Then he learned how to rate. He ran 11th in the Preakness. I mean, he's a local favorite and just got his butt kicked. And he comes back and he takes some time off July to December. Three races later, he wins a little stake at Laurel, one-turn mile. And then he wins another stake and then he runs third. Well, he's three for three at the one-turn mile. And he's in really good form, and he's definitely got the chops to do it here. So I like those two. 
as wind bets, uh, maybe play them top and bottom and exact. I don't know. If you, uh, in a case like this, I do what's called dutching. I'm, you folks know, for listeners, dutching means you basically, there are tools to do it. You determine how much you want to bet or how much you want to win, and based on the odds or what you think the odds are going to be, it does the math for you. You don't have to figure out to bet you know, $10 in 12 to 1 shot, $5 in 20 to 1 shot if I want to make 100 bucks in the race, that kind of thing. And that's the way I play a kind of race like this. I think this is just a great race. I can make cases for others, but I think I'm going to make win bets on those and box the four horses. I mentioned Global Campaign, who's four for six his career, just won his prep, his uh, 2020 debut. And uh, the other was Silver Dust, who has been really good at Churchill. He's, he's consistent. He's 13 for 27, first or second. And he ran second in the Lucas Classic, beating the neck last September, so he likes the track. So. I think that's my take on the flame. So that's race nine. The four numbers are three, four, seven, and nine. All good prices. And one thing to to really piggyback about uh, Ellis's point on this race, like we all love the pick fives, pick fours. We get caught up in, in those. This is one of those races that you definitely want to play individually because in a field like this, like we, you know, Ellis has just mentioned like three or four horses that we, that we think are live. You want to be able to maybe focus in on which one of them is offering you the best value. You know, maybe one of the horses ends up getting bet down way shorter than what we expected. And then maybe it's silver dust that floats up a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this horse is 10 to one. You know what? That's actually a really good price. So um, this is to me definitely a race that I'm going to be watching, seeing where the odds are. And I'm going to be looking at who are some of the overlays in here. And that's kind of how I'll, I'll attack this ninth. And I'm with you it, it, almost. In, in complete agreement because I have uh, three horses that I had mapped out for the exotics Ellis in this race and it was three, seven, and nine. So uh, we might be in trouble here in, in race number nine, you and I. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a look. Let's throw the four in somewhere. Oh, and y'all can run I think so too. By the way. I'm probably, I will say in this kind of situation, I don't mind opening my walls a little bit, kind of like a derby. And I might play an exact, which some people would make fun of, but it's going to be four horses over like eight. And it's a, it's a $28 ticket for a dollar. But if it's twenty eight bucks and my low end's a hundred, my high end's three hundred, I have no problem spending twenty eight dollars on the exact too. When you're using all prices, you know, like prices in the top spot, so it's going to be a middle yep. tier to middle to a long shot. So you know, like that, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me, you know, because you're giving yourself the a better opportunity. So yeah, and good okay. good race here and some good prices in the in the blame to take a swing on. Um, let's move to the Matt Win now. So this race has been uh, has been moved around, and now it's going to be offering Kentucky Derby points and. We have Maxfield who shows up, and Maxfield will be the one that takes a lot of attention, and and rightly so. He's a grade one winner. He's done nothing wrong in his two starts, but he had a little bit of an issue right before the Breeders' Cup. He had to be scratched before the Breeders' Cup when he would have been probably the second or third choice in that race at the at the most. Um, and we've been waiting for him for a while. He's actually one of these horses that has kind of benefited with the pushed back Triple Crown schedule because they didn't have to really crank on him is hard to try to make one of these prep races he has the opportunity to run here maybe one or two other times and just kind of let let himself get back into fitness so is this a spot where we try to take a shot against him this is a, the the age-old question you know and mike about horses and what they're intended if they have a season ahead of them and it's really interesting so back to the blame real quick that was a one-turn mile that's like a long sprint so i didn't mind the horse coming back from september this is a problem. You've got a horse coming back from seven and a half months off, going two turns against horses that are pretty much all run, at least in March and a couple even in April down in Florida. And you just have to question how fit he is. His works are good. 
Brennan Walsh, a really good trainer. I routinely take a stand against these horses on fitness. And again, I, I, I'm going to use a human analogy. I'm not going to get up off six months and run a half marathon. It's not going to happen. If this was an allowance field, like Modern Boy Girl had that gimme last week and I took a stand against her, then I'd say maybe. And he might run well, and I'm not throwing him out completely from exotics and stuff, but I don't think he's the winner here. There are horses that have much better form cycles that have proven recently than him. And, you know, he's a maiden winner, and he won the Breeders' Retreat. It was a great race, but there's been a lot of time since now and then. So what's interesting about this, I don't know if you had a question, I'll go on. No, 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 keep going. So what's interesting is I, I, my, my editor, I have an editor, <laughs> everybody does, but uh, for our Waste the Week at Echo Base, my editor usually edits my titles, and she didn't, and I was very pleased. So I'll just give it away right now. My title is Pneumatic Can Drill the His Foes in the Mat Win. Nice. I usually don't get away with one like that. Um, <laughs> I think there's two up-and-coming horses here that have a big shot and one that had trouble last time out. Um, and those are pneumatic and mystic guide and major fed two, one and 12. And then of course I'll say, I'll mention now Maxfield's a good horse attachment raid. Who's run second in the unbridled and third in the Gotham has a decent shot. They're both outside major. They're both with major fed. And then the six NY traffic who he's only one of the speed horse in the race. I'll mention, I think that's Celtic striker who's inside of them. But he could stick around for his share. He followed Wells by you around the track at the Louisiana Derby. So back to my topic, pneumatic. Again, you know, I think what you said a minute ago was great talking about Maxfield. Pneumatic's a horse that wouldn't have made the Derby. He debuted no. in February 15th. He wins by a next sprinting. He stretches out to a mile. He wins by two and a half. He runs a much better race. And now he's going a mile 16th. That was a two-turn mile at Oakland. And, you know, he, he this is not the Derby. He wouldn't go from that race to the Derby. You'd have to have points. So this is a great course improving. Um, he improved, you know, I use Echo Bay Speed Fairies, but I also look at others. But he improved nicely, 90-96. just tells me the horse is getting better, physically faster. He was four wide in the race. He's an Uncle Mo out of a Tappet Mare. Um, and traditionally enough, this is one of those things, I, once in a while I look at pedigree, especially in three-year-old stakes. Uncle Mo's, I mean, you'd think of him as a good sire, but if, when you actually quantify it, his stats with, and this is going to sound weird, three-year-old males in dirt route stakes. So it's a pretty small you know, uh, group there of really narrowing it down. Um, in the last five years, he's had 69 runners. 18 of them have won Jeez. of three-year-old male dirt route stakes. So just that's not, that's not a bad sample division. size, by the way. I thought you were going to no, see. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to see like eight, no. seven, eight. 59, no, that's 60, legitimate. 69. Yeah, and that was and that was way that was and that was again dirt route stakes three year olds. It was a lot of stuff. I could have taken it back a bit, and, and it was really he had a couple uh, twenty to one shots in there too. I wasn't looking at the names specifically, but typical Asmussen, Santana rides good post, doesn't need the lead, very tough. Now, um, Mystic guy is inside of him. Uh, he, and by the way, uh, pneumatic. Unfortunately, I think Batag- Mike Battaglia friend of mine made the line. He made a good line here. I think pneumatic's four to one is probably right because he's right behind Max Steele. Because people see he's undefeated and they just know about Asmussen. The other horse, Mystic Guide, inside 15. I'm not sure I get that one. Uh, he's got the same pattern. He ran third in his debut, then he won by five, ridden out at a mile and 16th of fairgrounds. He's ghost after out of an AP Indy mare, so you can't ask for better breeding for stretching out. He was five to six wide in his race, and he actually ran a little bit faster in 99 Echo Base figure. So 
I certainly like pneumatic a little more. I think if we talk about odds, I'll bet him a two to one or more. I think Mr. Guide should be about four to one. He's fifteen. I'm not worried about not getting my price. And the other one is Major Fed, who's way outside, but he's got a deep closing style, so I don't think it matters. Um, he this horse went from a maiden win, his fairgrounds, two turns, ran second uh, in the Risen Star, and then he got on everybody's radar, and he was eight to one in the Louisiana Derby, and he broke slow. He was fourteenth. He was six wide uh, at the five sixteenth, which is on the turn. Eight wide in the quarter pole, and managed to close for fourth. And Rosario rode him, and I'm I'm thinking, I'm looking. Rosario is choosing to ride him back, which I think is interesting. Um, he gets off the reel, gets all the way outside now. He's five to one. It's a little lower odds than I consider for a win bet. I think eight, seven, or eight would be better. But he's got a shot. So I'm playing the race personally. I'm betting pneumatic to win. Um, I'll make a small bet on Mystic Guy because I'm not turning anything down. At more than 10 to 1. And I'll probably play those three on top of those three and then throw back in, as I said, Maxfield, Attachment Rate, and NY Traffic. So it's like a 3 by 6 we call it, Exacta, which is $15. It's a cheap bet. So, Ellis, we only have about two or three minutes left. We want to get over and get one play from you at Santa Anita after we tackle those Churchill uh, stakes. Let's get to the the Daytona, which is race number five at Santa Anita. This is actually a really good race. There are some legitimate Horses in here, Cistron's become a really nice horse uh, over the last year, year and a half. Steuben's is good. I mean, you have Wildman Jack, who won over at um, at Maidon, is coming back. Texas Wedge is very talented. A contentious group here. Um, any opinion in this fifth? Yeah, I'll be quick. So you toss out Sparkyville and Blame on Law. you got five contenders left. You, I don't know if you mentioned Murad Khan, Stubbins. I know you mentioned the other three. Um, this is a race of not who to bet to win, but who to bet to make money. And Murad mm-hmm. Khan opening a 10-to-1 as a horse to bet to make money. He is as good as any of the other four, but he's 10, and those are, other ones are 3 and 5-to-2 and 2-to-1. He uh, changed Barnes via a claim. O'Neill claimed him out of a mile race in January. He came back, and he drilled a nice field at the second allowance level in February at this distance. And he actually improved, even though he ran third to sister on the San Simeon. One little step forward, and this guy can post the upset. So I'll take a Murad Khan as a win bet. And I'm going to play him top and bottom in exact as it's a three over the two, five, six, seven, and then two, five, six, seven over the three. Casey comes in second. It's a way to make a profit in a race in which there's not a profit to be made in the race itself. Awesome. You know, I love that Ellis gives the, the, uh, not just the horses, but how to play it or suggested plays as well. Value lines, things like that. That's key. That's key. Give give the folks out there um, um, where we can find you, Ellis. Give us your plug, social media and stuff. Where can we follow along? Yeah, just Twitter, at Ubercapper, U-B-E-R-C-A-P-B-E-R, and you can go to Echo Base, the race of the week. I do a blog for a couple of ADWs, Keelan. Uh, it used to be Keelan Select, but you can actually get it at Keelan.com or Keelan Select under the handicapping, and Amwager.com, and they're all free. Everything's, all the content right now I'm doing is free. And then a daily pick every day at Sandy's website, and all those links are usually posted multiple times on Friday and Saturday on my Twitter feed. Good stuff. Thank Ellis, you. Really appreciate you joining us. That's all the time we have, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll be here same time, same place next week. Hopefully you can make a few bucks using some of Ellis's selections at Churchill Downs at Santa Anita. Have a tremendous sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.